0: Uh, we are talking about today... I guess the kids could go down. Sandra, where is the... <laughs> Sorry. Steve, send the kids down. Kittle's 11 and under. Got a great, great time. There was an old song... Now, I've got a special song I'm going to This is kind of procrastinating. kidding. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> There's a, there's, a, there's an old song that was uh, also in the cassette tape series uh, called He's Still Working On Me. Remember that song? There's a, He's still working on me. It's the very first song Matthew sang when he was two years old No way. Oh, why didn't he sing that? Again? <laughs> <laughs> he's not true <too> anymore. <laughs> he's not true anymore. No, that was a great song. And there was a verse the Lord kind of put in my heart, uh, and it's Psalm 138.8. If you wanted to turn there, He's still working on me. Turn to someone real quick and say, He's still working on me. God has never done with us. He's always working through. He's always working on. The Lord will vindicate me. Your love, Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the works of your hands. And the New Living Translation says it like this, the Lord will work out His plans for my life. One of the things we understand about God is that His promises are yes and amen. And you know there's precious promises that God has spoken over your life. And He says, you know what? I will complete what I set out to do in your life. No matter the setback, and you may a set in here before, no matter the detour, no matter whatever the circumstances, you feel like you've messed up too much or gone too far, God is in the business of completing work. God does not uncomplete work. There's three things that I want us to understand today. Uh, 1 Peter 5, 10, jump there real quick, and we will jump right into this. Jump, uh, 1 Peter 5, verse 10. There's three things God does in our life. Not the only things, but three big things. God will restore, God will support, and then God will strengthen God of all grace who called you to His eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will Himself restore you and make you strong firm and steadfast to Him the power forever and ever Amen. I love how that says that after you've suffered for a little while you know all of us have gone through suffering in some way, shape or form it's that testing, it's that refining refinement that we go through but it's a beautiful thing that God just doesn't leave us there first things first God will restore. I was talking to Mike and Donna today who are going through a huge remodeling project at their house. And it's kind of funny. I was told them I was going to be bringing up the restoration concept or the process. And uh, I've said this before about those remodeling projects. They're pretty tedious and they're very frustrating. I remember when i the first thing we did when we went into our house, was we went into the bathroom. How many of you moved into your house in the bathroom and had, like, the pink tiles or whatever? Some of you are like, I love my pink tiles. And it goes, hey, it's okay. It's are all you have. So, but um, we go in there, and we just noticed that that bathroom needs to be completely ripped apart down to the bare bones. And that was the first thing we did. Remodeling is messy. Restoring is a messy process. And we go into the bathroom, and I start with my brother-in-law, Sean, And we start ripping out the walls. We ripped out the floors. Actually, the transition board going from our bathroom to our hallway, you actually kind of had to step up a little bit. How many know that's a problem? What that means is there's layers of stuff there. (laughs) So we start peeling off the first layer. Still another layer left. Pull up the next layer. Still another layer left. We pull up another layer. Still another layer left. We pull up the last layer and they put for their kind of baseboard, wherever you want to call it, chicken wire and concrete was on our floor. So, if you can imagine, I mean, you could have built a bomb shelter around this floor. It was amazing. So, we ripped all of that up and it was really neat because somebody had decided to kind of adapt to the bathroom and kind of make it without having to go through all the hard work of tearing it out, and they put in there this bathroom was refinished on such and such a date in 2001 or whatever. I'm like,
1: no it wasn't!
0: All you did was you slapped up a couple boards and covered up a problem. And some of us in life, with our faith in Christ, we kind of get into the covering up as opposed to allowing God to expose things in our life that need to be taken out completely. Getting the layers out of our life. I mean, you don't want to talk about the layers. How many got a few layers of God's words that I mean, Only yeah, all of us. Josiah, you, he's uh, mentioned in 2 Kings chapter 22 and 23, and he's mentioned in 2 Chronicles 34 and 35. King Josiah was the king during the darkest time of Judah. It was, uh, it was this way because his grandfather Manasseh was the wickedest king in the history of all of Israel. The exact opposite of his grandson. Steve Barber writes, In the midst of great spiritual darkness, God used Josiah to return the people to his word. Josiah was truly one of a kind. He skipped over two generations and followed in the footsteps of his great-grandfather, Hezekiah. The Bible declared this of Josiah, that he did right beside the Lord, and he walked in the ways of his father David, and did not turn aside to the right or the left. Josiah was Israel's most righteous king they ever had. Here's the cool thing about Josiah at the age of 20. We talked about remodeling. He said, what does your bathroom have to do with remodeling and restoring? Josiah at that time, there was no known copy of the book of the law. The book of the law was Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Moses and those books and all those things. There was no known copy, so the land grew wicked and worshipped idols. Can we see something like this going on in America right now? Amen. We have a situation going on where the king completely says, at the age of 20, he says, I'm going to tear down these idols. So he starts tearing them down. Before we can ask God to rebuild and renew our lives, we have to get into a place where we get into repentance mode. The Bible says it like this, that we need to repent so that rivers of refreshing come in our life. Repentance is an admonition saying, God, I'm wrong, and I need to change my ways. That's what repentance is. The elephant in the room for many of us, the idols that need to be tore down the structures, the sin patterns of what things are taking place in your heart. Stephen Arburn writes this, when you are stuck in stubborn resistance, you may hear words that would help you move past your walls but we refuse to attend to them you defend and rationalize your behaviors and attitudes you project your problems onto someone else blaming others or circumstances for the way you are you become reactive to those who challenge you because you will do anything you can to protect the wall you've created to avoid the pain of self-examination you are not open to attempting a different way of thinking or living because you're afraid of losing the comfort of having the wall of dysfunction to hide behind. See, Israel had a wall of dysfunction that they were hiding behind. Their excuse was they didn't know. But how do you know Romans declares this about us? We have all been given a conscience, and we will give an account for the lives we live before God someday. Can I get an amen there? Yeah. Our lack or our ignorance in our life and living the way we do, unaccounted for, unaccountable, will... Call us to action, and we'll call God to action in our lives. And He will create some fun circumstances for us to face what it is we need to face. So we tear that out, Josiah at 20, tears the idols out of the land. He starts breaking it down. One thing's first is you don't need to be a very skilled person to tear down walls, do you? Just start tearing them down. First thing's first in your life, start breaking walls down. What kind of walls are they? I don't know what they are. I don't know what they are, the walls are. But you're going to have to start facing them and you're going to have to start realizing that things are not going to change until I face this thing head on and tackle this thing and grapple with myself on this issue. How many of you need some things to grapple with in your life? Josiah, at the age of 26, he commissioned a remodeling project for the temple. While the work was going on, Workers find a hidden treasure. They find the book of the law. Maybe Deuteronomy, it doesn't say. Maybe they found all five books of Moses. King Josiah knew of no other copies of the scriptures in all of the land. He never read the scriptures in all of his life. He realizes how far Israel had departed from the Lord. And folks, I want to tell you today, And I declare this today for our nation and where we are at today. My word declares this, the word that I read, my Bible says that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will heal your land. Folks, the problem is not out there. The problem is in the house of God. The problem is in the house of God which refuses to live with conviction, which refuses to humble ourselves, which refuses to say, God, change me, boy, do we need those prayers again. Can you imagine in your neighborhood, in your work, wherever you're at, if you got on fire for Jesus Christ and prayed with passion again and lived with passion and significance? He remodels and reforms the whole nation. Second Kings chapter 23, verse 25, let's turn there real quick. You know, remodeling is a pretty big industry. I don't know the exact numbers or figures for home improvements, but, you know, Lowe's and Home Depot, how many visited there last week or the week before? (laughs) You're always remodeling, you're always redoing, there's something changing, you're always painting, and you know what God's always doing with us? He's always doing the same thing. He's always changing and moving, and and it's a beautiful thing once we get on board with it. It's really, really fun. (laughs) 2 Kings twenty three twenty five says, Neither before nor after Joash was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all of his heart and with all of his soul, with all of his strength, in accordance with all the law of Moses. Folks, that is a huge, huge thing to say. Never was there a king like him who turned with all of his heart. Folks, I want us to get on fire for Jesus according to his word. You, you know, you know, uh, Rob was talking today about the word of God directing us and giving us directions. You know, we're a pretty ignorant people of the church when it comes to the Word of God and using the Word of God and applying the Word of God to our hearts. Steve Barber wrote about William Tyndale and John Whitecliffe. Whitecliffe risked his life on a daily basis to translate the Bible. On a daily basis, I'm sorry, to translate the Bible from Latin into English. Then to have handwritten copies distributed to the people. Whitecliffe was so hated for making the Bible available. That several decades after he died, they condemned him for heresy, dug up his body, burned it, and threw his ashes into the Swift River. That was the church that did that. William Tyndale built on that foundation Whitecliff laid down, except that Tyndale bypassed Latin version entirely and translated the scriptures from the original Hebrew and Greek directly into English. Because his work was so violently opposed in England, the land of his birth, he fled to Germany. And answering a priest who criticized his work, Tyndale said, If God spare my life ere many years, I will cause a boy that drives a plow to to know more of the scriptures than you do. He goes on to write, The people did not know the scriptures, but neither did the priests. Most of them were ignorant of the Bible. Their source of truth was the Pope. One bishop in Tyndale's time did a survey of 311 priests in his diocese. 168 of the priests couldn't repeat the Ten Commandments. 31 of the 168 had no idea where the Bible the Ten Commandments could be found. 40 could not locate the Lord's Prayer. 31 of the 40 could not name the author of the Lord's Prayer. They couldn't figure out that the Lord's Prayer was uttered by the Lord. No wonder England was in such darkness. Folks, you can make a big difference in remodeling your life. You know, we all want a better version of ourselves, don't we? Make the new you in 40 days. And we do our exercise challenges and our vitamin challenges and these kinds of things that we do. The new you in a week. Three points to making a better home life. We love these things at church. We relish in them. But nowhere in these books do you see... Humble yourself, get on your knees, and beg God for forgiveness. For living for yourselves. <clears throat> We're without excuse. You know, we say, boy, isn't it such a tragedy? There's no prayer in schools. And there's no more Bibles. You can't go into the public school. Oh, I'm so hated. Yeah, you go back to Starbucks and you read your devotional, and you go on Facebook and all your people laugh. You're really persecuted. Come on, let's give it a program. We say things like that, evangelical Christians, and we say, boy, it's not a public square. It's no prayer. But what if, are you praying in your home? Are you reading the word of God in your house? Forget the teacher right now. Forget the principle. Forget the law. Well, how about the law of your own seeking hope? Is the law your life, are you guided by the hands of the man? Are you picking up the word? Are you begging God to plead God for your children, mother or father? Are you doing it because it doesn't matter about the school? I want to know what's going on in our homes. Amen. Amen. I heard it said once, many years ago in Bible school, that I wonder if the Holy Spirit got taken away from the earth. I bet you most churches would continue on the same course they were going. We are not guided by God. We are guided by men. We are guided by selfish results. And we are not humbled in the face of God any longer. We're arrogant. We point our finger at God now and we tell Him what He to do for us. You can make a difference in remodeling the spiritual makeup of your home. You can take the walls out. If you want your spiritual kitchen to flow in your living room... Take the dang wall down. Don't sit there and look at the wall and you get the hammer out and you tear that wall out. Turn to and say, tear some walls down. Don't you worry about your school anymore. You pray for your school. You bless your school. You serve at your school. Don't worry about the school. You need to worry about your house right now. Turn to somebody and say, what's up with your house? We don't want to talk about our house. We want to complain about how bad our government is today. That's a little easier, isn't it? Amen. I thank God I live in America and I don't live in Uganda. Amen. I get an amen. Hallelujah. See, right now, today, after my life was so difficult, so hard, Go after all of our accolades, and we chase education, and we solve the most difficult math equations. <clears throat> and then when we go to the Bible, which the Bible says, "My word is right at your heart. It's not difficult. It's not complicated." Can anybody read any of the Beatitudes and tell me that's really hard to understand? How about the sermons of Jesus, which he says stuff like, "Love your neighbor as much as you love yourself." It's hard. Yeah, it's hard on your flesh. It's not hard up here. And as we move and as we continue to work through those things, we realize the simplicity of Scripture as we allow it. We just overthink it. We think somehow there's this complex equation. Folks, it's not complex. Jesus says, I am as near as I'm as close as a mention of my name. We can go down to our local Christian bookstores right now. If you didn't know it, there's a Christian bookstore at Forest Club. You can buy any devotional on any topic. Say, so what do I do? you want a better marriage? Start praying with your spouse. Amen. Quit talking about stuff. Quit talking about your problems. Quit talking about this. Take a moment to zip your lip. And all the flesh that you talked about needs change next week. And actually grab that spouse's hand and say, God, I pray a blessing over our marriage. I pray for my spouse that they would hear you, God, and that you would give us direction for where we're at right now in our life. It'll change you in a moment. You'll save money on counselors. You'll save money on lawyers. Yeah. Okay, now we're into something. All right, so I sit, so I sit down to this couple, and they're, they're sitting down, they want to help, they're outside here, nobody here, don't worry about it. They, I don't do that. But this couple comes in, and they want help, they want change. The wife comes in and she wants me to help them figure out their budget as they go through their separation. I said, I don't know what you came here for. And I was mad. I said, but I'm a pastor and I pulled out some books. See, here's what I'm trying to have you guys do. Have your relationship get restored. That's what I want. See, there was a day and age where divorce was a no-no. There was a day when divorce was something you didn't do. Now we have what's called no default divorces. you just get a divorce because you don't like the person no more. Well, I'm trying to teach people in churches, hang on, God's up to something, and He's remodeling it. It might look like a mess right now, but God is going somewhere, and He's remodeling you. This isn't about what you want. This is about what God wants. I'm kind of excited this morning. But I want us to have fire like William Tyndale White with him. He said, you know what, Mr. Priest, Mr. Pastor, there's going to be a boy out there plowing the field that's going to know more of the Bible than you. And you know what's happening right now in our day and age? I look at the Michael's. He got prophesied this morning. Those people will rise up, and they're going to run laps around people who are sitting around like bumps on the wall waiting for Christ to come here. Amen. You can make a big difference remodeling the spiritual structures in your life. You don't have to wait until next week. You don't have to wait until someone gives you a special word. You don't have to wait for nothing. Amen. You know what? If you let the Word of God do it, and you actually open the Word of God, and so many of us were so staunch, and we know the Word, or, oh, I read that verse before. Yes, read it again. Read it again. Let it, let it open up something to you. Let it say something that it hasn't said before. How many of you had a verse of Scripture where you read it again, and you're like, that did something different for me? More important than your textbooks. More important than your history lessons. More important than it all. But go down to your local bookstore. Find yourself a devotional, a good book. Buy a devotional. Buy a highlighter. Buy a in highlighter. You don't know what a highlighter is? Highlight it like you, hire your, you highlight your textbooks. This Bible's to be written. You know what they used to do in the church? They used to chain the Bible to the fuse. You know that? They didn't want anybody to take a bite. They chained the pews. We don't know our history. And that's the church doing that mess. If you let it, the word of God will soften your heart. And it might move around some things in your life. And God might come through your spiritual home and say, you know, you go to the HGTV channel and you have those people that really know how to have vision for a home. Isn't that really cool? They turn what a structure, what you and I couldn't do, and they turn it into something beautiful. Like, I never saw that house. Most of us would walk or run away from those kind of projects, but these people are gifted to that. Do you know how gifted the Father is at knowing you and knowing everything you need and knowing everything that needs to be changed and knowing all the intricacies, knowing where we need to move the electrics in our life and the plumbing? He does all of that. He says, This will make a beautiful home. And he comes through there. And it changes it all for our life. God will do that for us if we humbly submit our will, our ways, our mindset, and just open up and let the Holy Spirit speak. If, if, if you let Him Him speak. So often we start to brush over the things as God starts remodeling areas and He starts to repair the wounds. You know, one of the things as a believer we need to do is have our wounds repaired. You might have been wounded before. How many held out of your wound before and it's still there? You know, it doesn't matter how deep the wound. It was funny. I was out weeding yesterday with Emily, and I'm I'm like, Emily, let's pull all the grass out of that. Isn't it funny? You have a beautiful garden a month ago, and then one month goes by, and you're like, where did my garden go? Anybody been there? <laughs> Same thing spiritually with us. If you're not tending to your garden and taking care of those things and keeping those things up, things are going to grow in there. I'm, I'm growing in there, and I all of a sudden pull a weed out, and I got like one of those paper cuts. Aren't the paper cuts like this? I got a weed cut. I need a weed cut. Like, the leaf just went super. I'm like, oh! I just got a cut on that. But it doesn't take a deep wound to mess you up. And some of us were like, well, that wasn't really that big of a deal. And we make light of it, and we don't really deal with it. And really what's festering in our hearts is unforgiveness and bitterness. And all it takes is a little zip in your life to really mess you up and offend you, doesn't it? Doesn't need someone murdering your uncle. You don't need that. All you need to be is sliced. And now all of a sudden you have an offense and a grudge. And you need that wound to be healed. John Eldridge wrote this in Healing Prayer. He gives us kind of some examples. If you've got a wound today and you want remodeling, and you really truly want God to remodel, not just gloss over it and paint over it. I don't know about you, but I don't want God to paint over my problems. I really don't. I want God to deal with you. Invite the presence of God into that wound specifically. If you've never done this, this is something you won't need a bunch of people around you to do, but just go back to that place and ask God specifically to come to that wound right now. And number two, this is a difficult one, and this might not happen overnight. And it's okay. Forgive the person who wounded you. Amen. Forgive them. We're not jumping in. We're not jumping in. in, in. It's not, not fun time right now. And when we go to a doctor, we go to the doctor, we want healing, and the doctor tells us what to do. We're like, okay, it's going to be a tough road. And some of you have gone through a really tough year with doctors and stuff right now, and you've fought through it, and the pulse, and all those kind of things going on with people's lives, and you've fought through and you did what the doctor told you to do. God is saying, forgive the one who wounded you. Number three, and this might be strange to some of us, but break and renounce the agreement that you made with that. In other words, I won't do this, and I'm never going to do that, and this will never happen, and we close ourselves in, and we actually make agreements with those things. And the Bible describes that like a stronghold. And it doesn't matter how clean you make a place. The Bible says if you keep that place empty, the devil will come in and actually make it seven times worse than it was before. So it's not just about cleanliness. It's about getting your life on purpose and going in a different direction in that remodeling project. Number three, you're going to have to renounce the agreement that you made with the problem. And number four, and this is the most complete part of it, invite the healing love of God there. Invite God to heal that. Let God heal it. You know one of the hardest parts is when you get scraped as a kid. You know, you get your knee, knee, knee scraped and the parents get the knee sporn out and you get your hydrogen peroxide and you get all those things and it's the hardest thing because it kind of stings a little bit as they're doctoring it, doesn't it? And as Jesus is coming in there and he's working surgically and he's maneuvering and he's putting the needle spore on that, I am telling you he is Dr. Jesus and he'll cause some healing to happen and he'll restore some things back to you that you never thought you'd get back. God still wants to heal you And He still longs to restore you. And some of us, we continue going down the road of painting and putting stuff over top of it, but the structures have not come down. Jeremiah 17, 14 says this. Jeremiah 17, 14. Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, O Lord, and I will be saved. We serve a healing God emotionally, physically, mentally. Some of us have some mental places in our life that we keep going back to. I tell you, God can heal even the mental images, the memories, the nightmares. Some of us keep going around and around and around about you. It's not that you don't forget those things. You'll never forget them. But what happens is God restores something and now you're living under new direction and new purpose with that. Make your plea and your cry today, Lord, set me free from this. If you're dealing with bondage to sin, don't just say, man, I'm just a loser. Well, don't just say, you're not a loser. Don't, just, don't say that at all. Turn something like, don't say that. But say, God, heal me from this. Your plea is to set me free from this junk that's holding me back from this awesome remodeling that you're wanting to do in my life. Many times we say, but look, look at all the time that's passed. Have you ever said that? It's too late. Have you ever said it's too late? It's never too late for a God. <clears throat> Number two, support. As the restoring takes place, God is also supporting you. Stormy O'Martin writes, there are no times so hopeless in our lives that God's word will not shed light on the situation and bring us comfort. Turn real quick to Romans chapter 15. God's word will always bring comfort. That's how we need to rely upon God's word. Romans fifteen four says, "For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures." And the encouragement they provide, we may have hope. You know, one of the pictures that I hate when people describe faith, and I saw this poster when I was a little kid at school. They'd have those scholastic posters and stuff. could buy. remember those things, I love those little book fair things. But there was a picture of a cat hanging from a limb with a nail. And I think many of us in our Christian faith, we kind of look at ourselves that way. Folks, I don't want a nail-hanging faith. Do you? That doesn't feel too sure to me when I'm going through a storm. I don't... When I describe the Christian faith and our faith in Christ, that we're hidden and God has sealed us and delivered us, no matter how heavy the storm is, I promise you this, that you're not hanging by a thread. You are secure in Christ Jesus in your worst storms of your life. So stop having the mental image of when you're going through support. Because when we think support, we think I'm weak and I need support. How many need support here today? Oh, good, only a couple people. We all need support! I need support. You need support. We need support in areas where we're weak, so that guess what? When we're weak, another person can be strong and keep pushing us down the road. We need support. Support there means this patient endurance. And the Greek describes the capacity to continue to bear up under difficult circumstances. Not with complacency, but with a hopeful fortitude that actively resists weariness and defeat. Folks, when you're supported by God, you resist weariness and defeat. You are not defeated. Amen. You are not a defeated person today. You may have had the greatest punches of your life thrown at you, but you are not defeated, you a child of God. Amen. Our faith is not the picture of a cat hanging on a thread by its nail. That's not the picture of our faith. Not the faith that Jesus bled for when he died for us on the cross and said, It is finished, and the faith is complete that I give it to you. These works and greater. This is the kind of talk that Jesus had about all of us. We're built upon the rock and we need to resist weariness and defeat. I want to tell you, be careful of scouting reports. How many of you have had really bad scouting reports about your circumstances? Maybe you were the scouting reporter. <laughs> You know, one of the things we learned in Numbers 13 was God told those ten spies, go spy out the land. And it wasn't so that they can kind of confirm with God all these kind of different things and make sure it's okay. That wasn't the purpose of spying. God wanted to test their faith and say, do you trust me when you go into that land that what it is I gave you, you're going to take." Numbers chapter 13. We get into a situation now where the ten spies go there. They go back there, and eight of the spies come back, and they say, It is how God says. There's beautiful grapes, beautiful land, but they're big, giant people. In fact, they used terminology in there of we were ants in our own eyes. They had a poor perception of themselves in the kingdom, and they said, We can't take it. And Joshua and Caleb had had enough. And I thank God for Joshua and Caleb that he's rising up in this generation that say, yeah, it's good, it's possible, but look at all this junk going on. Folks, you will always have junk going on in this nation. The Joshua's and the Caleb's need to rise up and say, we can take this and we can do this. God declares to Moses, he says this when they come back, and Joshua and Caleb said, guys, God said we can take it, let's take it. Well, then the argument happens. The naysayers and the disbelievers say, blah, 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 everything, blah, blah, blah. That wasn't in King James there, but... God declares to Moses later on in the chapter, and he says this, how long will they refuse to believe? How long are we going to continue to refuse to believe in our own circumstances that God is faithful and that he will complete the work that he set out to do? One of the things that's going to have to stop happening is for us to stop going through the motions. Have you ever gone through the motions in your prayer life before? Maybe I'm the only one. Kind of say your prayers, and they're just prayers. It was kind of funny when I was praying with a girl last night. It was one of those moments where I really felt into the prayer, if that makes any sense. And I'm not saying we don't ever just pray. We pray, but there are times where you just really feel moved by that. And I really was moved by the words that the Holy Spirit was praying, and I really in that moment was awakened to that. Folks, we need to not go through these motions anymore. Number three, God will strengthen. Jeremiah 17, 5 says this. This is what the Lord says. Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans, who rely on you in strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. Ashley, my daughter, sent me a quote, and it said this. David didn't need to know Goliath's strength because he already knew God's. And many of us were looking at our enemies and we're looking at our circumstances and we look at our Goliaths in life and we're like, boy, that boy, he's really strong. That's really strong. And then, oh my gosh, so look at how big that is. David didn't need to worry about Goliath's strength because he already knew God's strength. We read the other night about Elijah. Remember the servant and they were. Gotta kill Elijah, take this man out. The army surrounds Elijah. The servant says, Wake up! We're surrounded by the armies! And Elijah said, They're surrounded. <laughs> and he said, Lord, open our, my servant's eyes so that he'll see God, the mighty armies of God surrounding that. And sure enough, on the outer outer rim, all the way around the battles, they encircled the armies and defeated that army they were surrounded. Folks, those who are for us are far greater than those who are against us. You don't need to worry about the strength of the enemy. You need to trust and rely upon the strength of God in the moment for your life. And that's how you'll strengthen yourself. You know, one of the funny things that's happening with me is I've got this smart fitness watch thing that I use, a smart watch, and uh, it has a sitting and standing and exercise little thing. And if I sit too long, It'll say, Bing! Stand up! <laughs> Shut up! I've had a long day! Don't you understand? It's been tough today! Stand up. And that's how you strengthen yourself. You stir yourself up. Do you know when you're lacking strength? And you know what? I love the verse of Scripture. Paul Paul was so human and he said, When I am weak, your strength is made perfect. We think that when we're strong, and that's when we've got it all together. And we've got our strut. And we're paying the bills. And we're doing this. And we've got friends here. And we've got connections there. That's not when you're at your strongest. You're at your strongest when you're at your weakest in your flesh points, And when you're crying out to God... That's when God can feel you and use you. But one thing will be required is that you will have to stand up. You will have to hear the alarm of God saying, don't, don't be softy, don't be... Stand up! How I many felt like sitting down in this point? And I think we need that and the Holy Spirit pricks us and awakens us and we say, as we strengthen ourselves in God it's a beautiful thing that God starts to fill us and use us. How are you strengthened with your spiritual self? Hebrews 12.12. Let's turn there. Hebrews 12.12. Hebrews 12.12 says, Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled but they will rather be healed. You know what? When you start to strengthen yourself in God, and when you start to build up your most holy faith, and when you start to apply the word of God to fight and to use that, that's an amazing thing. One thing that you're going to have to find, you know where you find strength as well? And us really serious Christians really avoid this verse. The Bible says this, that the joy of the Lord is your strength. How do you get your strength back? You know there's an old Johnny Cash song called Get Rhythm." Maybe Matt and start playing it today. But get the guitar up, man. It was funny, I listened to it the other morning and it said, Get Rhythm. When you get the blues, come on, get rhythm. When you. Am I the only one that knows the song? <laughs> Dang! I thought your whole congregation would sing together. But you know that song? I'm telling you, you will have to sing to get your strength back. I said that before, you're going to have to have a song. That you sing to God, that you make aware, and that you wake yourself up. There's an old Celtic proverb that says, "You should never give a sword to a man who can't dance." So what's that all about? Well, first of all, you want to have a coordinated man with a sword. No, but a man being able to dance, being able to enjoy—you know—it's so funny watching the staunch evangelical Christians at weddings. And they'll be dancing and And they're all going We don't dance. <laughs> the joy of the Lord is your strength. Not fasting harder, praying harder, and I need to memorize 32 more verses to get through that. Order. And enjoy who God is. Amen. Nehemiah 8, verse 10. This was at the worst part of their lives in the nation. And Nehemiah says, Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Some of us are in a grieving process, and folks, There is a time to mourn. There is that time. There are seasons we go through naturally that God has given to us a gift. There's winter and there's summer. But folks, I want to tell you that right now, that if you want summer to come, you're going to have to start thinking summer thoughts. You're going to have to start thinking thoughts of spring. You're going to have to start thinking about the process that God's bringing you through, getting you out of greeting to celebrating God. The joy of the Lord is your strength. David Seatman wrote this, Some of us wouldn't know how to live if we didn't feel guilty. We'd go to pieces from spiritual anxiety. Some of us were driven and our motivation is guilt. Oh, I've got to fix this and I gotta do that. And folks, I'm not telling you the Holy Spirit might not be doing that. But can you leave a little room to enjoy your Savior? And stop moping. And enjoy Him. Love on Him. Bless Him. You know, David, when he was bringing the temple or bringing the ark back, he was sacrificing and they were dancing and they were celebrating. And then when he went into the presence of God, he throws off his cloak and he was unashamed and he would worship and he would celebrate. Churches, today if you saw someone worshiping and celebrating and actually twirling and going like this during clapping, we'd all go, oh my gosh, what's going on there? <laughs> Not here! <laughs> Some spring in our step some of us are going to have to clap your hands some of us are going to have to wake our soul up because we have gotten tired and we've gotten cold how many of you know you sing a good fun song and it's hard not to smile some of us wouldn't know how to live if we didn't feel guilty Zephaniah 3.17 don't turn there but it says for the Lord your God is living among you he is a mighty saviour He will take delight in you with gladness, with His love. He will calm you with fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. That's our God. Can you imagine hearing God sing something to us? Can you imagine the song that He personally sings to you? And it's a beautiful thing as He sings, you know, kind of with babies, you have that lullaby love, bye, and good night. And that's not why I don't do that with my children. <laughs> <laughs> but he sings songs to us. Folks, you're going to have to determine to have joy right now. i do so, right, not to be happy about it. Yes, you do. You've got to point the finger. Yes, you do. Amen. Here's why. Here's why you need to determine to have joy, because you're responsible for your reaction. How you very rights, and whether it improves or wor- worsens your circumstances, you're not accepting legal liability for negative situations, you're not proclaiming that another person didn't contribute to the problem, what you are doing is refusing to be brought down to a lower level because of what someone else does. Amen. Do not let another person determine your frame of mind. Amen. See, some of us have allowed other people to determine our boundaries. They've allowed us to kind of box in because of these things. There's no way I'm going to sing. And when this fixes, maybe we'll sing, maybe we'll have a party, but I'm not going to celebrate. Folks, let me tell you this. Tommy me you this. When you change your focus, you will change your life. Not a principle with anything, but biblically speaking, when our eyes are on, on the prize, it's an amazing thing. Focus today on the joy of the Lord being your strength, and you will begin to sing a new song of victory, not defeat hope, not hopelessness, a tomorrow instead of yesterday. That's what will start to happen. When you start to sing, and when you actually start to get happy about the possibilities that God has for your family and your life, you will have a new song. Really quick on the strength part, and then we'll be wrapping this up. The other thing that you might have to do, you might have to sing, but you also might have to do this, and this is the hard part with strength, is you might have to be You just got to talk to me about dancing and singing. There's a time for that, but there's also a time. How many of you know when you're trying to build upon strength that people try to drag you down and you start getting into a fight and you know there's no good end to this fight? It's like street fighting. You know, you get in there and, man, you throw everything and you're throwing the kitchen sink at stuff. Isaiah 30, verse 15 says, In quietness and in confidence shall be your strength. Folks, you don't have to win every battle out there. And many of us in quietness and confidence need to back away from situations and quiet ourselves in the Lord. Be still and know that I am God. Amen. Amen. Sometimes not talking is a really, really, really good thing. Folks, I'm not one to back down from fights. And I'm a type A. There are times when I get irked or whatever. It's a really great thing. I've always said this with couples and things like this, to have having kids around, don't argue in front of your kids. And many of us have abused that. And I loved it because me and Anna have gotten into a situation where if I disagree or whatever, that uh, we bow out, if you will. Anybody need to bow out. Amen? Yeah. And sometimes texting is a good thing, isn't it? Great. Right? You kind of pat it a little bit, and you kind of back off a little bit, and you kind of, you know. The other day, I was frustrated, and I just kind of texted Anne, and I said, "Will you forgive me? I love you." And that's all we had to say. Amen. Amen. And some of us, as we back away and as we still ourselves and understand, it, and I realized how selfish I was. Isn't amazing? I had to go drive and drop off under something. I kind of was sitting there in a moment, collecting my thoughts, and like, Lord, man, I'm just a selfish guy. really selfish person. And in stillness and in quietness and confidence the Lord will direct you on what to do and where you need to go. And he will build strength upon strength for you and you will go from faith to faith to faith. Because your strength is not yourself. Your strength is not I want another one and I did this and I did that. It's pushed all off to God and you trust completely in God for everything. Why don't we close our eyes for a moment? If we could have the men come forward for communion. It's a beautiful time for communion. Maybe God is reminding you that he wants to remodel.